Okay, so uh, this morning we're tying things up in the series on Proverbs that we've been looking at over a number of weeks. And um, we're going to do that uh, by looking at it in uh, a sort of split way. So I'm going to do the first part and Andrea's going to do the second part. We're going to look specifically this morning at Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6. Okay, and in the book of wisdom, this is probably one of the wisest proverbs of all okay proverbs 3 verses 5 and 6 trust in the lord with all your heart (coughs) and lean not on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight we're going to unpack that proverb this morning we're going to look at it in a couple of different ways so Taking the first wee bit, to, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. To do this with all of our heart, that's a big ask, right? That's a big commitment. To, to, to give what's at our center, what's at our core, what keeps us alive, our hearts. To give that, what's our center, you know, our desires, our passions. What we invest our time in. What we invest our relationships in. What we invest our our finances in, to give all of that, to give all our heart to God, that's, that's, a big, that's a big ask. It doesn't just say, trust in the Lord with a large percentage of your heart, but keep some of the focus on other stuff. It doesn't go down that line. It's, it's with all of your heart. That's everything. Everything that we do should first and foremost be centered on him. But why, you know, why not trust with all our heart? There's no better place to, to, to invest, I think. With faith, we give God the opportunity to lead. With faith, we give God the opportunity to guide us in our lives. And in doing this, we're entrusting our whole selves. So if we're entrusting our whole selves, we're entrusting our whole heart. So trust in him with all our heart. Give everything over to him. Let him be at the center of our decisions in those areas of our lives. It's not the small percentage thing. It's the whole thing. So we're looking at faith. We're looking at trust. To trust. To take the risk of trusting God fully. What does God have planned for my life? What does he want me to do? Some of the questions we could ask. What does he want, what does he want for me? What does he want us to do? What adventures lie ahead? You know, we, we heard and Paul even said there just, you know, he makes the path straight. He's, he goes before us. What lies ahead? Are we all in? Are we going to take that leap of faith? And I think about that, that phrase, sort of taking a leap of faith. I'm sure that some of you will think back to uh, a, a classic film. I love films. I've told you that before. The third Indiana Jones film. Yes, you think you know what I'm thinking? Jonathan's not, you know what I'm talking about. So, the end of the movie, Sean Connery's been shot. That's Indiana Jones' dad. There's only about eight years between him and Harrison Ford. <laughs> I'll work that out. Anyway, so Sean Connery's dying. Indiana Jones, Harrison Ford has to do these three trials. He has to, uh, uh, the first trial is that the only penitent man will pass, and the penitent man kneels before God, so he gets through that. He thinks of that in the last second. He's dead clever. And he gets through the first one. Then the second one, <coughs> he has to, to spell out Jehovah. And he gets across this modelly path. And the third one, this leap of faith. He's got to prove his faith. Does he have faith in God? 
that leap into the unknown, and it's a leap from the lion's mouth. There's a big lion carved on the wall, and he has to take that leap, and he has to... There's a big pause, big dramatic John Williams music. Da, 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 da. And then he kind of, he takes that leap. That was good, wasn't it? That was, I could do that. <coughs> As a career path right there. Uh, and he takes that leap. He takes that leap of faith. And, of course, he gets across this and he goes to the, to the Holy Grail. It's not a real story. Just, anyway, it's good. So um, he takes that leap of faith. You know, it's a, it's a leap into the unknown. It's a leap. It is a leap of faith. You know, what lies ahead? I don't know, but I trust in God that he goes before me and that whatever happens, he's on my side and I can rely on him. The leap of faith. When I asked Jesus into my life, I was about 16 years old and I'd gone to church my whole life and knew about Jesus and kind of just thought that's kind of what you do. You know, it was just a, a common, common thing to, to know and to go to church. And I can remember having a conversation, I was about seven or eight years old with somebody at school and talking about the weekends, and I mentioned church, because to me, that was just what you did. And it didn't even comprehend in my, in my mind that people didn't do that, but, you know, that was the way. And uh, in the lead-up to me coming, coming to faith, I kind of, as much as I went to church every week with my family and did everything, you know, I, I wasn't really doing and living the life that a, that a Christian young person should be doing. And I kind of went off the rails a wee bit and was doing all sorts of things. And... I tried to find fulfillment in many ways, tried to fill that void in, in whether it be relationships, whether it be <clears throat> other things, and tried to find fulfill, something to, to fill the void. And, and uh, it was only when I came to faith, it was only when I fully asked Jesus into my heart and gave him my everything. It was only at that point that I, it began to kind of make sense. You know, I, I get this. This is, this is an all-in. This is a leap of faith. This is a, this is a whole self Trust, I'm going to trust you with everything, God. I'm going to trust you with everything. <coughs> Excuse me. He accepts us, each one of us, no matter where we are, with our doubts, our questions, our reservations, our fears, our worries. He, he accepts us no matter where we're at. Trust in him. There was no judgment on me on what I'd done in those kind of years when I was seeking fulfillment in, in life, in what was out there. When I came to faith, I didn't feel judged. I didn't feel condemned for what I'd done. Rather, it was just a real sense of his love and a real sense of his gentleness in relationship that just overwhelmed me. Faith is spelt, and we've heard this before, R-I-S-K. Faith is spelt risk. That's the best risk I've ever taken. And it changed everything. It doesn't mean everything's been brilliant, but it's a journey. And you work with it. And in everything, I know that God's been with me. Think of a time when a young man or a young woman has made your heart skip a beat. I was going to sing, but I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not. Uh, you're tempted, aren't you? No, I'm not. No. So when does you, ha you know, think of a time when that's happened. You meet somebody and it's kind of like, <gasps> so clearly when Andrea met me, that was an effect on her. Clearly, <laughs> she saw the legs, you know. Hey? Uh, but it's a big risk as well. It's a big risk stepping out. 
and actually putting yourself out there, putting yourself on the line, wanting to kind of be, you know, is this, is this something that's going to work? Is this, is this going to happen? You're watching closely. You're kind of reading the cues, reading the signs, seeing if, it's, seeing if that's someone you can trust, seeing if that's someone that you want to invest your, your, your time, your efforts, your relationship, your love. You, you, you're trying to gauge that in those kind of early, early signs. Can you trust them? When we got together, it was back in the days before kind of instant messages, mobile phones, you didn't have any of that. And if you arranged to meet at, at 8 o'clock, you had to be there at 8 o'clock. You couldn't not be there. Uh, you know, because if you, if you weren't there, could you trust someone that can't read the time? Could you trust someone that can't be a good timekeeper? Maybe doubts would begin to come in. Trust develops through conversation. Trust develops when you're sharing matters of the heart, when you're unpacking what makes you you in those conversations. You're opening, you're revealing yourself. You're giving part of who you are to the other person in relationship. You're trusting them to keep that sacred, to keep that as, as, at the core of who you are in that relationship. Speaking carefully, listening attentively, that is all involved in trust in a relationship. The greater the level of that relationship, the greater the level of commitment involved, the greater the level of trust that is required. Commitment requires trust. To commit to something or to someone, we invest our time, our thoughts, our whole self. You don't just sit back and just be like, oh, I'm in a relationship here, but I'm just going to sit and watch and just see what happens. You have to be proactive. To trust in God in everything, to invest in him, to commit to him, to know him, and to be in a relationship with him is trust. You've got to trust. Give him everything. If we want to do that, you need to know him. You need to know him. And to do this, you open up yourselves to him. There's no part of who we are that he doesn't see. So even if you think, I'm just going to keep this bit back, he sees it. He knows it. To know him, you've got to be open. You've got to put yourself on the line. Sharing our everyday lives with him. Not just, as I said before, not just, it's not that's just, you know, give me your heart but keep a little percentage back. It's not that. It's giving him everything. Not just the percentage we want to give out everything. All relationships require effort and investment. Owen was asked this week, is the usual kind of parent-child conversation, what did you do at school? Nothing, leave me alone. But then you get, you know, what did you do in history? He had history, and he says, oh, the teacher asked us to write down who were the two most significant people in the 20th century. Okay, so there's a question. Think on it. A few, my, a few names probably come into your minds now. I says, well, what did you say? And he said, Hitler, fair enough, yeah, significant, in a bad way. And then he said, Michael Jackson. So, of course, I did a wee moonwalk across the room. He's like, embarrassing dad. But, you know, not, not a bad answer. And, uh, and I was thinking, I said, well, you know, one of the names that came to my mind when I was then, we had that conversation. Well, who else could there have been? I said, Nelson Mandela. So, why not, you know, Nelson Mandela, quite an influential character in a lot of ways. And I so was looking up a few things and sharing a few things with him. And he did, there's one of the quotes here that I'm going to share. So Nelson Mandela said, nothing in life 
is worthwhile unless you take a risk. Nothing in life is worthwhile unless you take a risk. There's no passion to be found playing small and settling for a life that's less than the one you're capable of living. If we want to live the life that we're capable of living, we've got to trust and give everything to God. I think that's quite a significant statement from a man who gave so much and risked so much in how he lived his life and the impact he made. Romans 10 verse 13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everyone who calls everyone. The word everyone reveals that God intends to be inclusive. Who calls shows it's, it's us that have to be proactive. It's us that have to take action. It's us that have to step out. It's us that have to take that risk. Everyone who calls, it's us. Deciding to respond in faith and trust and to know God means we're choosing to risk our lives. That's, that's what it's about. It is a risk. It is a step from the lion's mouth as Indiana Jones did. That's it. Equally, deciding to trust in ourselves and to know what we know, because we know best, and live out our lives as we desire, that's choosing to risk too. The big question is, you know, what, what will we choose? What risk is bigger? When you contemplate that, what risk is bigger? What does your heart say? What does your mind say? What risk will we choose? Luke 15 verse 10 says this, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I'd love to be singing with the angels today. I would love that. And all, all the time when people come to faith, when people come to know him, let's rejoice as a family together. So the next part of the verse, lean not on your own understanding. What does it mean uh, to lean on our own understanding? Think about that for a moment. What is our own understanding? All of us have it. And we covered a lot of this in our Emotionally Healthy series last year. Our own understanding is what conclusions we have come to in and about life and how we respond out of that. Our own understanding will be based upon many different things, such as our life experience, our upbringing, our relationships, how and what we have learned about God and how we connect with God and so on. There's so many elements to it. Our exact understanding will be unique to each one of us. There's not two people in this room who will have the exact same understanding about life. But when the Bible teaches us not to lean on our own understanding, it doesn't mean that we just throw it out as invalid or discount it. It doesn't mean that throughout our lives that we haven't learned anything. It's a caution, really. It's a caution to be wary of our human reactions to what's going on and to life's complicated issues. Our human perspective is always limited and our natural intuition can always be a bit suspect. I know there's some people here who might dispute that more than others. We have a plethora of common phrases which encourage us to rely on our human her perspective, such as gut instincts, it's one we use all the time, my gut instincts, eh? Female intuition, there's one you hear more about these days. Moms always know, do they? 
I feel it in my bones and things like that. I think it's Mrs. Baird in uh, Paddington always says that. I'm not going to try and do her ac Scottish accent or anything, but she's always like, oh, feel it in the, my bones, feel it in the water, all of that. Even as kingdom-minded people, if we merely follow our own insights, me w me we may well get it wrong. We really need to be intentional about asking for God's input in the decision-making of our everyday life and not just the big key decisions about career choices and that sort of thing. When the writer of Proverbs tells us not to lean on our own understanding, he means that we need God's mind on the serious matters of life. When I was a teenager, there was this sort of movement began, WWJD, so I'm sure anybody who was around as a teenager in the 90s will de most definitely know about it. And it stood for, what would Jesus do? And so there was lots of bracelets and bookmarks and you know, it was very much the rage, t-shirts, hoodies, the whole lot. Um, and then it kind of became a wee bit cliche and then it sort of disappeared. I'm not sure, since I'm over 40 now, I don't know where we're at with that. Young people, you, you'll know. But actually, when I was thinking about that, it's a really, really healthy and good rule of thumb when it comes to making wise decisions. And I think in our current culture and climate, actually, it's really good. What would Jesus do? So would Jesus send this particular text message that I'm just typing up here? Would Jesus post this vague uh, status update on Facebook? Would you, Jesus choose to feel offended about this thing that I'm feeling really offended about right now? Would Jesus falsely try to claim compensation about something that he wasn't entitled to? What about this? Would Jesus retweet that? Would Jesus publicly slander those who wronged him, even if they were in the wrong? How do we know what Jesus would do? through the teaching of his word and by the guidance of his Holy Spirit. Our job is not to know that we think best, it's to trust, as Andy said, that he knows best and that he knows what's best for our lives. When in doubt, always trust the wisdom of God. So let's not lean on our own understanding and instead pursue God for his perspective. And then the next bit, in all your ways, acknowledge him. To acknowledge God means to acknowledge his wisdom, his insight, and his understanding. That's what this series on Proverbs uh, on wisdom has all been about. And Andy has kind of touched on this. It means in all our ways. We can be assured that any area of life that we attempt to manage without the benefit of God's wisdom, insight, and understanding, well, we're going to start to run into problems in that area. We might not see it at first, but eventually it will. And often this is the crux of the matter where many of us get really stuck. Because most of us here, do you know what, we're pretty good all-rounders. Especially when it comes to acknowledging God in most areas of our lives. We're quite good, you know, all around, yes, we're Christians, we believe, we trust, you know, we act and so on. But actually, quite often there's just this one area that um, we don't, that we hang on to. And we want to remain in control of it. We almost have a virtual no trespassing sign hanging up especially just for God, over just one wee thing. But this gaining of control and maintaining of appearance in one area in reality has the potential to seriously damage our lives and the lives of those around us. If we are the only one behind the driving seat of one particular bad route that we keep on taking, then there's always a dangerous possibility of losing control and then the wheels will come off. Over this last number of weeks looking at Proverbs, we have already looked at a lot of these potential areas. I'm not going to go over them all just now, but there's loads, and I'm sure if you think back to the series, there'll be some that will be important to you or you've thought of. 
What are the circumstances that we're not acknowledging God? It could be an inappropriate relationship, not looking after ourselves and our health, what we are putting into our bodies, allowing friends to speak into our lives that who are people who aren't good for us, who aren't trustworthy. Maybe it's some kind of addiction. Maybe it's lack of discipline in a particular area. Maybe it's about our career or our workplace. Uh, maybe it's our attitude towards church and Sundays or our money and our finances. Or maybe it's an, even an element of our marriage or our parenting. We've just covered so many things and that's just a few examples. There is this saying, it doesn't take many holes to sink a ship, just one. It's like this, it's like saying, God, I know all about your wisdom. I know what the Bible says about this. I know that the Holy Spirit has been prompting me about this. Yes, God, I know the Holy Spirit prompted me about this last year when I was at that conference thing and last month again during that discussion in my life group. And yes, God, again last week during that talk in church. And yes, God, this morning again when I was spending time with you in my quiet time. Yes, God. But no, God, actually, no, the answer for this one thing is still no. I don't want your wisdom. I will carry on managing this area of my life on my own. But one area where we refuse God's wisdom can have far-reaching consequences. In time, it will start to have an adverse effect on other things in our lives as well. Maintaining control of the just one thing is learning the hard way. We could all save ourselves an enormous amount of trouble if we could learn what many who have gone before us already have, and that is this. Any area of life that is not placed under God's leadership and wisdom will be eventually the source of great frustration, heartache, and pain. In all our ways, acknowledge him. Today, listen, if we've got that no trespassing sign up for God somewhere, maybe we could think about taking it down today and taking that first step. And he will make your path straight. Let's be clear, anyone here who's been a Christian for a few years or so now will know what making our path straight doesn't mean. And it doesn't necessarily mean God makes us healthy, wealthy, and happy all the time. It reminded me of that chorus. I'm in right, out right, upright, down right, happy all the time. Does anyone remember it? Since Jesus Christ came in and washed away my sin, I'm inside, outside, upright, down right, happy all the time. Happy all the time. There's probably not one person here that can say that we're happy all of the time. By making our path straight does not mean that God gets all our wishes and desires into alignment and makes us feel happy. Our desires can be to be comfortable, popular, wealthy, slim, in love, on holiday six times a year, or working just one day a week, like Paul and Chantel. <laughs> These, that's just a little joke, of course. <laughs> These human desires are not necessarily God's desires for us. Sometimes when we think of straight paths, we almost default to a picture in front of us of a completely predictable straight road. You can see one end to the other. It's been newly tarmacked. There's no bumps, there's no twists and turns and absolutely not one single pothole in sight. But when God says he will make our paths straight, he means he will give our lives direction, purpose, focus and fulfillment. He guides us over the bumps, around the difficult twists and turns. And when we hit the inevitable potholes in our lives, he will help us deal with the shock, assess and repair the damage, and he'll get us back on the road. Making our path straight means he will work straight in us to transform our hearts and souls. He will work straight through us so that we have an impact on others. And when we die, he will lead us straight to be with him, face to face, like we read about in 1 Corinthians 13. What more could we ask for? 
As I was preparing this, um, I thought about what I would have missed out on in my own life had I chosen to manage things on my own. It's a really deep question that we need to think about this morning. Where would we be? What would we have missed out on if we had chosen to manage life on our own? Often we're consumed with everything that's going on in our lives in the moment and our frustrations when we're waiting to hear from God. But think back to your life had you not followed in God's ways up to this point. I think it's fair to say there's some of us would not be sitting here this morning. And so for some of us this morning, we really need to look at these verses again and maybe just say them as a prayer. God, I want to trust you with all of my heart and lean not on my own understanding. In all my ways, I want to acknowledge you to make my path straight. We're on to the last wee bit now. Don't worry, that clock is five minutes fast. Don't miss the adventure. I'm sure you're familiar with the lovely words in Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. It's a really well-known verse, and it's really meaningful to Andy, and I'm sure to many of us here. Let's be totally clear. God has plans for every man, woman, and child in this building this morning. He has a specific, unique design for each of us. Some of us here right now, we're discovering what the plan is right now. And maybe God has been revealing things to you recently, and it's absolutely brilliant. And do let us know about these things, because we love to celebrate and give thanks with you. Others of us are sitting here thinking, I do not have a clue what my plan is. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know what direction my life's going. I don't know what I'm here for. And I'm going to suggest this morning that that is also brilliant too. Why? Because God has yet to unfold these plans for you. There is an adventure coming up for many of you here, and you don't even know about it yet. And that is something that we can all get really excited about. Yes, to make our lives work better, we can all and should all implement the teaching that we've been doing these last weeks on wisdom from Proverbs. But let's not miss out on the adventure that God calls us into as followers of him. Look at the adventure the disciples had as they followed Jesus from place to place. There was rarely a dull moment. So what does adventure mean? There's two meanings the dictionary gives. The first one is this, a risky undertaking of unknown outcome or an exciting or unexpected event or course of events. And I just love looking more into words. And so the history of the word adventure has sort of evolved over time. In the 1300s, it meant risk or danger, a trial of one's chances. In the 1400s, a perilous undertaking. After the 1500s, a novel or an exciting incident. Notice the meaning of the word has sort of evolved over time. It's almost retreated. It has gone from danger and risk right over here to an exciting incident. It almost feels like it's been watered down a bit. And I wonder, is that symbolic of our society as we've gradually entered further and further into this culture of health and safety and comfort? I do a lot of parenting programs um, in my job. And there's a lot of new research, I'm sure, sure some of you know, coming out that's sort of suggesting that as parents and caregivers, we are not encouraging our children to take enough safe risks in safe places. And that all this kind of wrapping them up in cotton wool could be potentially harmful for their overall development as people. It's like what Andy said earlier. John Wimber said faith is spelled R-I-S-K. 
And if we're here today saying that we're part of this church, then this environment, this space, this community, and this family of Carrick Fergus Vineyard is a safe place for us to take risks, living out our faith in the adventure that being a follower of Jesus brings. Extending the kingdom of God together won't happen as effectively if all of our faith is individually wrapped up in cotton wool, nice and neatly. Are we giving God space there to lead us and guide us? I've done a wee bit of research um, into the meaning of adventure, and if you go back, it gets a lot more interesting. So prior to the 1300s, this is what the word adventure meant. A wonder, a miracle, accounts of marvelous things. Wow, I, whenever I read that, I was like, that's better. A wonder, a miracle, accounts of marvelous things. That's what we're after, isn't it? Surely this is the adventure that we read about in the Bible. And David prays in Psalm 86, verse 10, for you are great and do marvelous deeds. You alone are God. Surely we want to be given accounts of the marvelous things that we have seen God do. Like the disciples, we want to see and be part of things. These are the stories that we want to be telling. We want to see God doing marvelous things in our homes, in our marriages, in our workplaces, in our town, in our children, in the lost, the last, and the least. But only if we partner with God and say yes to the adventure, whatever that looks like for each of us. This brings us nicely to the last number of weeks teaching on mountains. If you Google adventure or type it into Pinterest or whatever, you, your search will almost certainly bring up pictures of mountains. The two seem to go hand in hand. And these mountains that we either need to move, get round, go round, climb over, whatever way, as Elaine said last week, and the adventure, the two go hand in hand. Think back if you were here the week that Andrea Wigglesworth was speaking, she gave us a brilliant equation. God's word plus your faith equals a supernatural breakthrough. So let's just apply that to what we've been doing. God's word in Proverbs, or whatever you've been reading, plus your faith, spelled R-I-S-K, equals a supernatural breakthrough. That's the adventure. That's the formula to seeing the marvelous deeds of God. We could all be standing up here talking and sharing about these week after week after week after week, but only if we give our yes to God, surrendering all our whole selves, as Andy said earlier. There's this kid's song, It's an Adventure Following Jesus. And I just was so reminded of it when I was, when I was writing this. It's an adventure following Jesus. It's an adventure learning of him. It's an adventure living for Jesus. Let's go where he leads us, turn away from wrong, for we know we can trust him to help us as we go. This one little song suggests that if we put the wisdom that we've been learning about these weeks into our decision making, it can only add up to one thing, adventure. Deciding to follow Jesus, deciding to learn about him, deciding to live it out for him, putting it into the practice then as we decide to keep on following him. Deciding to go where he leads us and turning away from wrong. Deciding to trust him to help us as we go along. Of course, we will all have seasons in our lives where the adventure seems more terrifying than terrific and more worrying than wonderful, but all the best adventures do. The best novels and the best films often, more than not, have us covering our eyes with our hands. I do that all the time now in films, and not just once before we've got to the end. These are the stories that have us on the edge of our seats that are memorable. In all seasons, God is good, and God is kind, and he loves us, and he is for us. We don't want one single person in this room to miss the adventure that God has for you. It does not matter what age or stage or season of life you're in. We only have this one life. This is not the dress rehearsal. This is it. And the adventure can start right here and now for each of us.
if we adopt the posture of surrender and give our yes to 